0: Fields such as manufacturing, retail, healthcare, government, and nonprofit organizations. We have received as much from the people in these organizations as we have given, and as a result, we have improved the process based on the lessons learned over the years. Full Steam Ahead is about more than how to create a compelling vision, it's also about how to ensure that it's a shared vision, that it comes alive and that it continues to guide you on a day by day basis creating a vision statement can be just a one-time activity this program is about how to make visioning a journey our hope for you the listener is that you get some practical ideas on how to create a vision for your organization or department for your work and for your life the lessons are embedded throughout the story like nuggets waiting to be discovered We hope you enjoy listening to this audio program and discovering the lessons as much as we enjoyed writing it. And we hope that you are able to apply the concepts so that you can move full steam ahead. Without a goodbye.
1: I stood in disbelief, unaware of the wind that lashed across my face. Lost in my thoughts, I was numb to the cold. I can't believe he's gone. I can't believe I never got to say goodbye. I couldn't imagine a world without Jim in it. Yet here I stood in an open grave on this gloomy winter day. How can this be happening, I wondered. I had believed that Jim would always be there if I needed him. Now I needed him to comfort me. And he wasn't there. I wanted desperately to talk to him. I looked around at those gathered with me. They looked as shocked as I felt. Jim had meant so much to all of us. I gathered some comfort as I realized I was not alone. As Jim's daughter Kristen read the eulogy, I began to listen closely to what she said. The familiar words described Jim so well that I could almost sense his presence. Feeling that connection with Jim, I realized that I felt alone, but not lonely. Alone yet I could almost feel Jim comforting me. Jim Carpenter was a loving teacher and example of simple truths whose leadership helped himself and others awaken the presence of God in their lives. He was a caring child of God, a son, brother, spouse, father, grandfather, father-in-law, brother-in-law, godfather, Uncle, cousin, friend, and business colleague who strove to find a balance between success and significance. He had a spiritual peace about him that permitted him to say no in a loving manner to people and projects that got him off purpose. He was a person of high energy who was able to see the positive in any event or situation. No matter what happened, he could find a learning or a message in it. Jim Carpenter was someone who trusted God's unconditional love and believed he was truly the beloved. He valued integrity, his actions were consistent with his words, and he was a mean, lean, 185-pound, flexible golfing machine. He will be missed because wherever he went, he made the world a better place by his having been there. A loving teacher and example of simple truths. I reflected on how eloquently the words of the eulogy described how Jim had lived his life. They captured the essence of who he was. I smiled to myself as I thought about how the words had even captured Jim's humor. He certainly loved golf, even though he had never become a mean, lean golfing machine. As we walked away from the cemetery, I caught up with Kristen. That was a lovely eulogy, I told her as I put my arm around her. Kristen sighed and said, Thanks, Ellie. But I didn't write it. I think Dad did. I was sitting at his desk in his study, trying to compose a eulogy, when I found this one lying in the top drawer. I thought it described him better than anything I could have written. She paused a moment and continued, But I don't know why he would have written it. Then it hit me why the words had sounded so familiar. I know why, I replied softly. I was there when he wrote it. It was his vision for his life. Immediately my thoughts flew back to another winter ten years earlier, which had started not unlike this one. An Unfamiliar World Gray skies prevailed that winter. It hardly snowed, but a chill settled deep and we rarely saw the sun. I felt numb as I stood uncertainly at the threshold of an unfamiliar world. I was in my mid thirties. My husband had walked out on me, on our marriage, our children, and our life. One morning he announced that he was leaving, and that afternoon he was gone. I was shattered. I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it coming. I felt stupid as I put the signs together that I had missed. Over the past few years, I had been so involved with the children and managing our busy lives, it had barely registered that Doug had become more distant. I thought he was busy at work. The divorce happened quickly. My lawyer assured me I was getting a good settlement. He said, Doug is cooperating because he feels guilty. But it still wasn't enough money for us to live on. I had to get a job but had no idea where to start. My job to that point in my life was to be a mother, a wife, and a volunteer, not earn money to support the family. It seemed as if all the things I had taken for granted were over. My children were teenagers now and didn't need me in the same way they once had. I felt totally alone and overwhelmed. There were days when just getting out of bed felt like a major accomplishment. I kept running out of steam. Finally, a practical voice from somewhere inside said, take it one step at a time. I knew the first thing I needed to do was find a source of income. I considered my situation. I was intelligent. I had graduated at the top of my class. I had been treasurer of our children's PTA. I did bookkeeping for the library auxiliary. I paid our bills on time and did our taxes. I also loved to write. But who could earn a living as a writer when she's had no formal training? My degree was in business. I anxiously perused the classified ads for a business or financial position each Sunday as I wallowed in misery. And so eventually, I found my first job. In the accounting department of a good-sized insurance agency. I went shopping for business clothes and prepared to enter this strange new world. My first day in the job went better than I had expected. A friendly woman named Marsha, who had interviewed me for the position, welcomed me to the agency and confirmed that I would report to her. She showed me around the department, gave me a tour of the building, and outlined my responsibilities. My specific responsibilities were to support tax accounting, collect tax-related information, and help prepare the state and federal reports. She said that I would begin slowly until I got into the swing of things, which was reassuring. I sensed that my life was about to be dredged out of the murky swamp in which I had sunk. In fact, I was actually excited to learn my responsibilities, meet my co-workers, and get my own cubicle along with my own desk, my own computer, and my own voicemail box. There was even a message waiting for me on voicemail. Good morning, everyone. This is Jim. It's said that Abraham Lincoln often slipped out of the White House on Wednesday evenings to listen to the sermons of Dr. Finns Gurley at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. He generally preferred to come and go unnoticed. So when Dr. Gurley knew the President was coming, he left his study door open. On one of those occasions, the President slipped through a side door in the church and took a seat in the minister's study located just to the side of the sanctuary. There he propped the door open just wide enough to hear Dr. Gurley. During the walk home, an aide asked Mr. Lincoln his appraisal of the sermon. The president thoughtfully replied. The content was excellent. He delivered with elegance. He obviously put work into the message. Then you thought it was an excellent sermon, questioned the aide. No, Lincoln answered. But you said that the content was excellent, it was delivered with eloquence, and it showed how hard he worked, the aide pressed. That's true, Lincoln said. But Dr. Gurley forgot the most important ingredient. He forgot to ask us to do something great. I believe there's nothing wrong with average lives and average accomplishments. Most of the good of the world builds on the accumulated efforts of everyday people. But a life should strive for greatness as Lincoln seemed to know. I remember that voicemail message quite accurately, because I actually transcribed it. I didn't have much to do my first morning, and I thought it would provide good practice for my computer skills. Besides, the message intrigued me. Who was Jim, and why was his message in my voicemail box? This was something I hadn't expected in the business world. Marcia invited me to lunch, along with others on her staff. We chatted about an upcoming big project, the weather, and our families. I began to think that I would actually like working for this company. It felt comfortable. I wanted to be here. I hadn't felt like this since long before Doug left us. I didn't ask about the voicemail message, partly because it slipped my mind, and mostly, frankly, because... I didn't want to sound as if I didn't know about the business world. The afternoon went by quickly, and I headed home feeling hopeful about my future for the first time in a long time. The next few days, I dug right in. I was eager to learn everything as quickly as possible so I'd be viewed as an asset. By Friday, I still hadn't asked anyone about the voicemail messages. But each morning, I was intrigued by the brief message that began with the words, Good morning, everyone. This is Jim. And each day, when I had extra time, I transcribed the message, mostly so I would look busy if someone passed by my cubicle. The messages were quite unusual. They seemed to be a mix of stories, personal philosophy, and information about things that were happening in people's lives. For example, one message began, Good morning, everyone. This is Jim. Yesterday, Sue Mason, one of our receptionists, had a successful operation, but they did find some cancer. They think they got most of it out, but she's got to go through some chemotherapy. So let's send our prayers, good energy, and positive thoughts towards Sue. I hadn't met Sue, but I sent her some positive thoughts anyway. I felt it couldn't hurt. I still hadn't asked anyone about the messages, partly because it never seemed to be the right time to do so, and partly because it had become a bit of a mystery, something to look forward to each day. It had been a long time since I had some mystery in my life. When I got home at the end of my first week of work, I reflected on my experiences. I had been excited and anxious most of the week. Work felt a little stressful, but not nearly as stressful compared to the dreariness of home. All the energy I had at work disappeared the moment I walked in the house. Alex and Jen were at their father's for the weekend. Even when they were around, they seemed so self-sufficient. At the ages of fifteen and thirteen, they made their own plans, and as far as I could tell, all they needed me for was transportation. Once, I had been a wife and a mother. Now I wasn't sure who I was. I slept late both Saturday and Sunday and moped around feeling useless, waiting for Monday to roll around. Out of the Gloom By Sunday night, I truly looked forward to getting out of the gloom of the dreary weekend and going back to work. The problem was I couldn't sleep. After a fitful night, I woke up at 5.30 a.m. and lay in bed. I tried to fall back asleep with no success. What to do? Alex and Jen had slept at their father's. The thought of getting up and facing the empty house was unappealing. I considered going into work early. Thinking about work, I began to feel more energy. I had been assigned a project... If I did a good job, it might prove my capabilities. Why not get at it, I thought. I dressed quickly and arrived at work around 6.30 a.m. It hadn't occurred to me that the building would be locked. Walking around the building, I tested the doors and found one unlocked in the back. I entered the quiet building with a bit of trepidation. I hadn't met many of the people who worked there yet, and I didn't want to be arrested for breaking and entering. The door opened into a hallway, and I was immediately drawn to the aroma of freshly brewed coffee coming from a room to my left. I vaguely noticed several photocopy machines, and to my delight, found the fresh coffee.